We again return to these precious words of Luke chapter 12. And as I've lingered over this particular portion of Scripture for the past few weeks, where Jesus is teaching about what our attitude of heart ought to be towards matters of money and possessions, time and time again, I find yet another and yet another very special spiritual truth that I feel compelled to include within this study. So I'll ask you to bear with me, if you will, as I spend at least this one more week here within these words of Luke chapter 12. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags, which do not grow old. A treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the special truths that I find in these words concerns itself with the repetitive nature through which Jesus teaches his disciples. Often we find that his truths are given once, then twice, then again, sometimes within the same context, but sometimes in differing context. Sometimes being recorded by one of the gospel writers and then by another of them. But ever expanding and ever advancing and ever progressing so as to lift up and to carry those who desire to seek after the Lord up to that higher plane that one of our favorite Christian hymns speaks about. His manner and his method of teaching is very intentional and it's very effective. But again, that's so only for those of us who truly desire to know more about him, to know more about his precious truths, to know more about his purposes for our lives. And that bespeaks the intent of the first truth that I'd like for us to consider here today, that of the immeasurable importance of intentionally getting into and remaining continually within his presence. For the disciples, it was walking with Jesus, following him wherever he would go, ever listening and ever hearing, ever participating with him in his efforts to share the gospel. For you and for me, it needs to manifest itself in our having daily private study times in these scriptures, in our faithful attendance at our church, and then also our joining together with other fellow believers in group Bible studies. Too often, too often I've been asked the question, does a Christian really need to go to church to be a Christian? And while the answer to that question is no, the greater question is, if a person wants to be the Christian that Jesus wants him to be, then yes, then yes, they must continually get into his presence and remain there, ever listening, ever hearing, and ever learning his precious truths. And that learning can take place especially well as we join ourselves together with other believers within a church setting, rubbing shoulders with other people within the body of Christ, giving help and guidance to them, but also receiving help and guidance from them. And so, may I say this again, if a person really wants to be the Christian that Jesus wants him to be, 
than getting into his presence among other believers and remaining there, listening and hearing and learning of his precious truths is the best way of knowing how to be the person that God wants us to be. Folks, it's only through our continual receiving of his truths in these scriptures that his voice and the meaning of his words begin to become clear to us and we begin to develop a deep yearning to be like him. But why? Why is persistence so necessary? Why can we not just be told something once and it be settled within our souls? The answer to that question is a relatively simple one. It has everything to do with the corrupt nature that resides within our souls. That nature that first began the moment that Adam and Eve decided to turn away from God's lordship over them and to venture out into their own path. And unfortunately, that corrupt nature is even stronger today than it's ever been. And it's getting progressively worse. And it's continually driven by the culture wars that are taking place all around us every day. And that corrupt nature manifests itself in all that we think and all that we say and all that we do. As the words of Romans 7 reminds us, our souls are the battleground where a war is being fought between those two avowed enemies who abide within us, the Spirit of Christ and my old fleshly self. Those unceasing moment-by-moment -moment battles between right and wrong, good and evil, blessings and cursing. Listen again to some of those words given in Romans chapter 7, describing that battle that takes place within every soul, especially every soul that would desire to follow after the Lord Jesus. These words begin in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Romans. There the apostle Paul cries out, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. What I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep right on doing. Whether we realize it or not, and despite whether we understand and are able to articulate its presence, this battle, this battle truly does rage within your and my soul most of the moments of our day. And the results of those battles loudly declare themselves in the many failings of our souls that Jesus spoke to his disciples about. Those worries and the concerns about the food that they would eat, the clothes that they would wear, and the covetous spirit that goes hand in hand with the abundance of our possessions. Little battles and big battles raging continuously within the hidden recesses of our souls. Most often with the battle cry of never enough, never enough. And in these and other words like them, Jesus sought to teach our beleaguered souls about the only cure, the only real cure and remedy available for the corrupt nature that resides within each one of us. And Jesus no doubt gave these same words about our concerns and worries about money and treasures on several occasions as he traveled about and preached and taught the people that he encountered. And I especially enjoy the way that he gave it on the occasion where he was teaching the people in Matthew chapter 6. Those words are similar to our passage here in Luke chapter 12, 
but with a few added words. Listen to these words given to us in Matthew chapter 6. There he tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. These words have a strong tie to the warnings that are given to us in 1 John chapter 2. Warnings about the lusts that well up within us for all of the treasures of this world that our eyes and our flesh desire. There he warned us to love not this world, neither the things that are in this world. And he tells us, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of this world. And then continuing on here in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all, these things the Gentiles also seek. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here in verse 21 of Matthew 6, and also in verse 34 of Luke chapter 12, we read one of the defining verses as to why all this takes place within us. The battles, the worries, and the lusting after the things our eyes see. Here we read, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts do so treasure the things that we lust after and that we acquire in the pursuit of this life. And God knows that we do treasure those things. And he gives us warning after warning about how our hearts do go astray within those pursuits. Recall again those words of Jeremiah that I've quoted to us so often. There he tells us in 
Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Folks, all those things that we mistakenly think are hidden in the deep recesses of our heart and mind, they're not hidden from God. They're not hidden from God. He knows what we treasure most in this life. He knows how desperately wicked our hearts can really be. How can he know? How can he know? It's as he just told us here in verse 10 of Jeremiah 17. Every moment of every day, he tests our minds, every one of us, and he knows every one of our thoughts. He knows exactly what you and I are thinking right at this moment. These words in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I arise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Folks, God knows every thought that flows to and fro within our minds. Right at this moment and at every moment. He knows exactly what you and I treasure most in this life. Here in these words, Jesus speaks especially of our concerns about money and possessions. And not just about getting rich but about the basic necessities of life, what we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll wear. But beyond simple concerns, Jesus speaks about our worries and our anxieties about those things. And it's those worries that he especially wants to dispel within us. But why? It's because those worries, those concerns, those anxieties affect us in many different ways and all of them wrongly. On the simplest level, those worries occupy our minds with thoughts like, we don't have enough money to pay the rent or to buy food or to get the car fixed. And then, as with many of us, even bigger bills are put upon us suddenly by some health crisis or by storm damage or by a change in the financial market. And some of us are getting older and more dependent upon our retirement income. And then we read where the government plans to cut our Social Security and our Medicare benefits. We see so many elderly people still working, and most of them in low-paying jobs, just trying to make ends meet. Their 401k was running out too soon. And yes, right at this moment, to one extent or another, some of us, you and me, are probably experiencing some of those very same worries. How can I know that to be true? It's because Jesus saw fit to say it here in these words. And as we said a moment ago, he knows our every thought. He knows about the propensity within us to worry about all those troublesome matters of daily life. But lest we leave this passage and miss out on the real message that lies behind these words of Jesus, let me address the deeper issue about worry. It's simply this, to worry, to fret, to be anxious about these matters of daily life, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, and all such worries. 
they bespeak a distrust within our hearts. A distrust. That's why the Lord Jesus so often uses the words, O ye of little faith. And even worse, to worry, to be anxious about such things as these. It bespeaks a belief within us that God either cannot or he will not be faithful to keep his word. But he says to us, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat and what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. And your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Folks, the simple truth is, for us to worry can go so far as to be an affront to God, saying, to him, God, I don't believe you, and I don't believe your words. You're untrustworthy to meet my needs. I'll have to meet my needs on my own. That kind of response, folks, is wrong. Very wrong. But to some degree or another, it still takes place within each of our souls far too often. You and I have things and needs and desires that we treasure. And here Jesus is saying to us, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't treasure such things. And especially, don't worry about them. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Now, before we conclude our thoughts and considerations about the things that we treasure most within this life. While yes, these words of scripture concern themselves most with matters of money and the possessions that we own, may I ask us to go a step beyond those thoughts and those considerations to some of the other matters of life that we do often hold as treasures within our hearts. Here in verse 34, Jesus tells us simply that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May I suggest that we might not consider such things as our ideas or our philosophies, and especially our feelings, as being treasures. But folks, we do often guard them in our heart as if they were treasures. And please note also that implicit within these words from the Lord Jesus is a warning to us, a warning that some, perhaps many, of those other kinds of treasures might be questionable, questionable before him. Perhaps it's the treasure of some long-held bitterness coming from a past relationship. I know of several people who are angry and bitter at the church, and consequently they are bitter at God. Some former church members treated them unkindly, perhaps, even harshly. And even the pastor might not have been supportive. And so now they hold on to that treasure, that bitter treasure, and they don't go to any church at all. Also, at the top of many lists, we treasure the bitterness 
that has come from past family disagreements and separations. And we haven't spoken to those family members in years. And yes, the list of those harmful kinds of treasures can go on and on and on. And the question for you and me today is, do you, do I have some of those strongly held treasures right at this moment? And what do we know that the scriptures tell us that we should do with those kinds of treasures? One of the simplest answers comes to us in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. There we're told, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess some of our treasures as the sin that we know them to be and to begin today to move on from them. Now, lest we end this study today on a negative note, can we stop and consider some of those treasures that we know that our Lord would have us to hold on to? Real treasures. For us Christians, at the top of our list of treasures should rightfully be our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it should be a growing relationship. And then we should probably consider our relationships with our families to be our next treasure. For me, I treasure my wife and my children at the highest of levels. And then after our families, some of us will hold our relationship within the church in the very highest of esteem. And along with all of these, I personally treasure some of my friendships very, very highly. And yes, treasures like these should go on and on. And we know that our Lord approved of those kinds of treasures. We know that because they're part of that first and greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength, and then to love other people as the Lord Jesus loves them. And praise be to God for such a love. Let's pray.